0: It's Betsy with the Dickey Foundation and you're listening to Dickie's Doing Good, the podcast where we tell good stories about good people doing good things in the community. I'm thrilled because my guest today is Trisha Clifton. She's the executive director of Court Appointed Special Advocates, CASA of Collin County. She's been with CASA for three and a half years and has spent her career in the nonprofit sector with organizations like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, Back on My Feet, and Youth Villages. She also has a degree in professional counseling and a passion for helping children in the community. Thanks so much for joining me today, Trisha. Of course. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for those folks who don't know you quite as
1: well as I do, uh, tell us about yourself, your work with Collin CASA and how you came to where you are now. So like you mentioned, I've been here for about three and a half years. Um, Sometimes it feels more like 10, um, but they have been filled with joy and some struggles here and there. But ultimately um, it's been a great organization. Um, I came here actually from an an organization prior to this called World Ventures Foundation. Um, And I was actually recruited and it, it was the perfect place for me to be. Um, A little bit more about me is that I was um, a part of the system myself. Um, I was a foster child. I was taken away and removed from my home due to abuse and neglect. I was a failure to thrive child. And what that means is that I just lacked the proper nutrition where I wasn't growing, I wasn't thriving like I was supposed to and I didn't measure up to children that were of my age. Um, Ultimately, that led to me being removed from my home and I was eventually adopted. So I got to um, experience the system myself. So if it wasn't for the right people there at the right time, at the right moment, and all of the systems with whom I work with now, being there for me, I wouldn't be here today. So okay. I, I definitely feel like I am where I'm supposed to be. Well, that,
0: that's really remarkable, and an incredible personal story that you have. So tell me a little bit more about CASA and, and the work that you and your team do here.
1: So at CASA, our goal is to train volunteer advocates. So volunteer advocates are everyday community members like you and me um, that have a heart to serve and have a passion to help children. And so we train them, our volunteers, to be the voice and basically the eyes and the ears of the court system. And what that means as it pertains to children is when there are allegations sorry of abuse and or neglect, those reports go to CPS. From there, they do an investigation um, to deem if there is enough. Uh, I guess proof of evidence to remove a child and to verify what's actually happening. Um, If they are in fact um, able to determine that there has been abuse or neglect to a child, they then send a court order or send an order to the judge and a judge orders the removal of that child. At the exact same time that the judge orders that removal, they assign CASA onto that case and we become the guardian ad litem. So every child removed in Collin County is assigned a guardian ad litem. That's where our volunteers come into play. They become that person. Guardian ad litems have the ability to um, have access to a child's health records. HIPAA rules do not apply to them. Um, They have access to their school records. They have access to the case files. It is not our job to do an investigation or to prove the Um, abuse allegations what it is our job to do is to really speak for the best interest of that child so it is working with their parents it's working with the relatives it's working with cps it's working with the lawyers um, the judges any of the attorneys that are involved in the case to really speak on behalf of the child's best interest there are a lot of parties that are associated with a, with a particular case. And the best thing about CASA is that we focus on that one child. So while there may be so many revolving pieces around that child, we remain the constant while that child is in care until they are able to either go back home um, or they are able to be adopted or placed perhaps with another relative um, but ultimately ending in a safe and loving permanent home for that child.
0: Well, so these volunteers are, are making some pretty big decisions there. So talk to me about the training. Cause I mean, what you're talking about almost sounds like, wow, does someone need a law degree to do that? <laughs> I mean, that that's, that's a whole lot of responsibility that, that these volunteers are taking
1: on. So when we talk about our volunteers, we refer to them as the Navy seal of volunteers. They are the cream <laughs> of the crop. They are the best of the best. Um, and with that, um, comes a lot of training. As you might assume, you know we—not all of our volunteers are, in fact, lawyers or even familiar with the law. So the first process that we have is we require our volunteers to go through an orientation process. Um, they learn a little bit more about what CASA is, um, the requirements to be a CASA, the time commitments, etc., and then they decide if that might be something that they're interested in. Because this volunteer. Gig is not for everyone. Well, and and what is the time commitment on something like? That? I mean, this seems significant. It really depends on each case. Each case is very different, um, very different in nature, and the requirements could be significantly different from one case to another. Um, we could have a baby or a newborn that was born drug addicted or we could have a 14-year-old um, that unfortunately um, injured some kind of abuse, whether it be physical, emotional or sexual abuse. And so um, working with those children requires many different things. Um, so it really involves getting to know that child, getting to know their case and really understanding what that child needs. Um, we really work to meet the children and their families where they are. Um, And we do believe that the best place for that child is to be reunified with their parents if it is safe and if it is possible. So back to our training, Um, after you go through orientation and you discover like, oh, I can do this, I think I can do this then we have an intense interview process. So you fill out an application and then we contact you and we interview you, it probably takes about an hour, sometimes two hours to complete the entire interview process. What we're doing is we're looking for biases. Everyone has them, we all have internal biases, but we wanna know that you are able to put the needs of the child first and not necessarily think about your individual biases. And what that could look like is just, you see this child going to this foster home and this foster home has the ability to take all these amazing vacations and go to Disney World, where maybe the parents of origin, they don't. Maybe they're poor. Maybe they um, you know, have enough food for rent and food on the table and but they've got all this love to give. Um, and so understanding the difference between poor and abuse is really important. We focus on things like that. Um, We focus on the different um, religious aspects that kids may be raised in. And we think it's important to try to identify that and to try to make it as normal as possible for them. Um, We focus on um, LGBTQ communities and what that means and how they have a higher um, percentage of um, abuse cases among them, um, whether it's from, Um, lack of tolerance, lack of understanding and education. Um, It's just a variety of reasons, unfortunately. Um, But we focus on those things. We also focus on what's going on in the legal system. Um, There are a lot of changes that occur um, through the legislation um, again and again and again. And so keeping our advocates up to date on what changes are taking place and what laws um, will impact our children is of the utmost importance. Um, we, a- after you're interviewed, um, if you pass that part of our background check, then you go on to an official background check, which is, um, a screening, a national screening through CPS and then fingerprinting through the national registration, um, and then if you're cleared, then you get to come. <laughs> I know it sounds like a lot. It is a lot. Well, and I maybe mean, um, this is a serious commitment. I mean, and, and clearly, I mean, these people who are
0: really dedicated to it. I mean, so are, are there a number of people who don't get past that bias
1: interview? There, there are, unfortunately, um, or maybe fortunately. One of the things that we screen for um, is trauma, past trauma. Everybody comes to volunteer for a reason and what that reason is depends on the person. So it could be someone that came to volunteer because maybe their parents were past drug abusers or alcohol abusers and maybe they had experienced some kind of trauma in their life. Maybe they were a foster youth um, or maybe they just wanna give back and they see the importance of what we do um, and providing that voice to children. But one thing that's really important for us to screen for is We want to make sure that whatever it is that brought you here will not create an additional trauma in your life as a volunteer or an additional trauma in the child's life. Because that could be the worst thing that we could possibly do is to bring you into it or re-traumatize the child. The child has been traumatized enough and doesn't need to go through anything additional if we can help it. so again okay so someone makes it through that interview process they make it through the fingerprinting they make it through the background check now what (laughs) then you have 30 hours of in-person or right now virtual training um so that is where we go over the biases we go over education we go over court reports what it means to be a casa how do you speak to a judge um what the judge wants to hear um so not just saying oh the child is doing good What does it mean to be doing good? What does that mean for that child? Um, And then you are sworn in um, by our county judges. Um, And we currently have six right now um, that hear CPS cases. And we have a little over 300 active advocates right now.
0: That's remarkable. And how did how did COVID affect you all? I mean, obviously, I mean we're we're still in COVID. It's still Delta and everything else, and things are weird. But particularly the
1: last year and a half, how did that affect you all here at Casa? So COVID flipped our world upside down. <laughs> um, I think everyone can relate to that. Um, we went from being able to visit our children in person to having to have virtual visits with our children, and as you could imagine, that's a scary situation. Um, If you can think about any Zoom meetings or any meetings, just FaceTime, that you might be on with someone um, that you know, you never know who's in the background. Um, So there was always that threat of how do we keep these children safe while being distant? And so it really increased our communications. Um, We went virtual, but it was really important for us to have FaceTime with the youth um, have FaceTime with the foster homes, wherever the child may be, um, with their service providers. So while we are used to seeing the child about twice a month, um, our numbers really went up. Um, unfortunately though, one of the side effects of the pandemic was that less children were being removed from their homes, not necessarily because less children were being abused, but because children were now hidden in this virtual society that has been created and so many children weren't going to school, um, so many children weren't being seen. A little known fact is that over 70% of reports of abuse of, um, or abuse allegations actually come from teachers. And so our teachers weren't able to put eyes and ears on these kids and so the numbers went down our reports of abuse were coming directly from hospitals police officers um, domestic violence shelters it totally changed the dynamic of our system and no doubt and several months ago i
0: spoke with tony sutton over with child protective investigations here in dallas and then recently i spoke with irish birch from dallas children's advocacy center and so all these organizations all interact together and it is it's one of those it, it, it is it sounds like a good thing that there's less Child abuse, but it, it really was tragic. I, previously I was with the school, and again, working for a school, you're mandated by the state to be reporters. And it's kind of talk to me kind of a little bit more about really kind of how that how that impacted you all. I mean, again, DCAC wasn't seeing as many, many reports, and that's that's kind of good. But you all, I mean, again, I can't imagine the the differences that became because all of a sudden, well, you, you can't interact with a four-year-old the same way that you'd
1: expect to on Zoom, and they may have their abusers there in the background. Yeah. It made it very challenging for sure. Um, Some of our judges actually still required in-person visits. Um, So that was a very challenging dynamic. Um, A lot of our volunteers fall into a category where they are more high risk. So you can imagine the policies and procedures that we had to design, create, (laughs) jump through hoops um, in order to just make sure that our children stayed safe because it wasn't just about able to see the children it was about lessening our impact of COVID. Um, One thing that people may not understand is if someone in that household got COVID, there are situations in which that placement where that child is could completely break down and that means that child could have to go live somewhere else and that child would again be re-traumatized. So that was the last thing that we wanted to do. A lot of our children are medically compromised um, because of their abuse they have higher level of needs. And so there was another barrier that was introduced. Um, You know, you mentioned the the changes that we've seen and this year we're serving about 360 kids to date, just from January. Um, Last year we were serving more children. We had 383, so that's about 23 children different. Um, However, this time last year we were serving 259 cases and this year, we're serving 266 cases. So, one of the differences in that is we are serving a higher number of cases because typically, when a teacher would report abuse and allegations, it would filter back to the entire home. So, suddenly, the whole family was on display and under investigation. Where here, when d- these direct reports are coming straight from a hospital, or from a domestic violence shelter or from police, um, it's focused on that one individual child. So we're seeing less family units and more individual children or cases. And it sounds like they're more severe. They're a lot more severe. And the thing about CASA is, we already deal with the most severe cases we deal with the worst of the worst so in order for children to be removed in texas there's certain criteria that they have to meet and there's a lot of them um i think it's seven different things actually um so there's already hoops that have to be went through in order to actually physically remove a child because they do want to reduce the level of trauma in these child children's lives so it's already the worst of the worst. And now we're seeing more um, instances of physical abuse rather than neglect, which is what it was pre-pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, organizations like Child Protective Investigations, people always are like, oh my gosh, they're gonna take my kids away, you know, whatever. And, and they, they, that is never, that's not their goal. They mm-hmm. wanna keep families together. And so they're, they're, they're misunderstood. Kind of what, is, what do you think about CASA is misunderstood?
1: I think they see us as part of the system, um, and we're not. We're kind of that filler in the system. Um, and what that means is is that the system is completely overburdened. There are um, so many workers that are burnt out that have 40-plus cases apiece where we are able as CASA to train volunteers to be with that one family Sometimes you need two CASAs, just because maybe a family is more than eight people. Um, But we really get to know that child and that family unit one-on-one. So we are not with CPS. We are not with the parents. We are for that child. We are speaking to whatever the best interest is for that child. And so, because of that ability, we do remain that one constant. We don't have the turnover rate that everyone else has. Um, we don't have an agenda. Our agenda is that child. And I think that's one of the most important things about what we do.
0: Well, and you clearly have a passion for for helping children. <laughs> so what what's the best thing for you about being with CASA?
1: The best thing about me, uh, or well, the best thing that I believe about being with CASA is seeing the successes, um, seeing families rebuild themselves. Um, sometimes it's a lack of resources. Um, it's as simple as that. Um, it may not seem simple at the time, but sometimes that's really what it is. Um, sometimes families can't repair. Um, but there's another family unit, um, that can come together and rally around this child. Um, it really is. It's, seeing the healing and knowing that we don't always get to see it, but hoping for the best. Um, our job is not not to be in these children or families lives forever. We are just a temporary, um, a temporary stop. We hope that there's enough healing, um, in place to where they don't need us forever. Um, but we are able to help them in a time that they are more vulnerable than they've ever been before um, and up against a system that is rallying around them, even when it doesn't feel like it. So sometimes I see a bit of myself in these children. And if we are able to help one child to realize what their potential is and to help them through this process, hoping that one day they can sit in my chair, that's what my goal is. That's my role.
0: When, and you have a degree in professional counseling, and again, this passion for helping children and families, for you, where's where
1: does it really come from? I, I think it's my past. I, I think my past is what led me here. My past really created my future. And seeing when the system works, that's when it's important. Um, Again, our system is broken. Um, There are people that are advocating and fighting to make it better. And it really does take all of us to do that. Um, So if there was ever a day I could work myself out of a job, I I would do it in a heartbeat um, because it means protecting these youth and protecting our future generation. That it's these kids grow up with my kids and they will be our leaders one day when i'm not able maybe to speak for myself and so we have to protect them it's our job
0: absolutely so is there an experience that you can kind of think of and obviously i understand privacy and things like that but is there is there a story that you think about that either really touched your heart or really just changed how you do things
1: we had a casa former casa youth and they were in the system um unfortunately um because of their mother and father. Um, The father was able to regain custody on a monitored return um, of their child. And during that time, the mother passed away. Um, This child was returned back home. I think it was within the first couple of days, this child was back home. Um, The dad just fell out for a health issue. No one knew what was going on. It it ended up being, I think maybe a heart attack if I remember correctly. Um, but that child, instead of dialing nine one one, they called their Casa. So that's how much of an impact that we can make on a child's life. Um, is that child trusted their casa enough to call them first. Of course, that casa was immediately like hang up, call nine one one. Right. <laughs> but that casa actually made it to that child's house before the ambulance and before the police did. Wow. The father ended up surviving, thankfully. Um, but and so that's a story I, I always remember, and and that's the kind of impact that these casas can make in a child's life. They knew nothing else but to reach out to them, and they knew that they would be there for them. There was no doubt. So that's that's one of my favorite memories, for sure. Well, that that's. That's huge I mean the, the impact that, that they're
0: having is huge and thank you for for that so so you you have obviously helped a lot of people in your career um, so who who are two or three people who really helped you and,
1: and helped shape where you are now I would say the number one person that influenced my life was my adoptive mother um, I consider her my mother I don't I never called her anything but um, so she's never been my adoptive mother she was just my mom. Um, she's since passed, but she, she was my hero. She's the one that when I came to her, I was terrified of men and bathtubs. And this was when I was so young that who would have thought my mother was as brilliant as she was, but she would just put me in the bathtub and fill it up with toys and just slowly inch by inch fill up water until I didn't even know there was water in there. And just thinking about it now, it's like, oh, my mom was so smart. How would she know that? Um, Moms are smart. You know you're a mom. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but you never give them credit. But she is the reason that I have the passion I have for children, for my own family, um, and for others. There was never a stranger to her and never a, a bad word she would have spoke about anyone. She always looked for the good Um, and that's really what she passed on to me. So she would be one of those people for sure that I would identify as, is one of my heroes. That's wonderful.
0: So what do you think the most important thing you've learned so far is in life? Whether it's something with Casa, whether it's something your mom taught you, whether it's being a mom yourself.
1: Gosh, that's a tough question. I think it's just use your voice, use your voice for good. I think that's the best thing that, that you can do. It's it's to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and be the voice of good. Um, don't spread the hate. Very good. I like
0: that. So if someone wants to spread the good and they want to help Colin Casa, how can they do that? So
1: you can go to our website. It's just www.cassofcollincounty.org. Um, and explore our opportunities. We have special events. We have beneficiary events that give back to CASA where maybe you don't want to cook and you want to have dinner um, somewhere else and it goes back to a good cause. We always have that available. (laughs) Um, We have our annual gala, which is our 30th anniversary celebration coming up um, October 23rd. Um, And then we also have... um, We also have an area where you can learn more about becoming an advocate. Not everyone is, not everyone um, necessarily may even want to be an advocate, um, or has the means to do so, but maybe you know someone who does. So even just spreading the word about the work that we do um, to other individuals that maybe you think that they have a heart to serve, or a heart to fill a position as a volunteer advocate, that alone can make a tremendous difference. We're always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for diversity so that we better conserve the children that are in our care. Maybe the children that don't look like us, that don't speak like us. Um, so there's always opportunities. That's fantastic. Well, so
0: at the end of all of our interviews, we always bring it back over to Dickie's. So I've got to ask what's your favorite Dickie's meat and favorite
1: Dickie's side? So I really love the little miniature, it's on a biscuit. I can't remember what it's called, but it's just.
0: Or sliders. The slider, <laughs> the sliders, thank you. Yes. The, the... I get those at Love Field when yeah. I'm traveling.
1: <laughs> so I always get the mini brisket slider with a pickle and then a side of the spicy barbecue sauce. Good that idea. is my favorite. And of course you can't forget the iced tea.
0: Right, in the big yellow cup. Yep. Well, because every single cup this year helps the Dickey Foundation, so we're helping local first responders with that cup. So I appreciate you buying the cup. I'm going to go into our lightning round. I'm going to give you two choices. You're going to pick your oh, favorite. No. All right, here we go. This, this is an easy one. We'll kick it off easy. Barbecue beans or jalapeno beans? Barbecue. Sweet or unsweet tea? Unsweet. Wow, that's controversial. Are you from the South? I am from the South. And still I going unsweet. Yep. Okay, all right, we'll let it slide. Uh, Chop brisket or sliced brisket? Chopped. Sauce or no sauce? Sauce. Brisket or pulled pork? Brisket. And last but not
1: least, ribs or wings? Mmm, neither. I don't like the bones.
0: OK, <laughs> she's just going to stick with that brisket. All about it. All right. Well, thank you so much. My guest today has been Tricia Clifton, the executive director with Court Appointed Special Advocates of Collin County. Thank you so much for everything that you are doing for our community, for the children, for the families. And thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much.